we saw that there was no temple in this city, which is the same as saying no temple among the people. This makes it a unique city because in ancient cities, the preeminent structure in all ancient cities was the temple. The identity of a people was always associated with the deity they worshipped. And the absence of a temple here in this city is the indication that God Himself now has come to dwell in the people. That is the point. One of the promises that has been made is when at the end of the millennium all that God meant to accomplish in creation and the principal objective being a man in the image and likeness of God has been accomplished, then Jesus hands up the kingdom to the Father and God is all in all. Now that's a perfect, uh, that's perfectly harmonious with the prayer of Jesus Himself in John 17. The principal aspect of His prayer was a how. How might the world know and believe that Jesus came from the Father and that the Father loved the people as He loved the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer was, let them be one in us, in the way that you are in me and I am in you, let them be one in us that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Where there is no temple, it is because He is in us we are in Him, He is in the Father and because we are in Him, we are in the Father. So it's a way of life, it's a corporate life and whenever this state has been achieved, He in us, us in, uh, He is in the Father, Father is in Him and we are in Him, Worship then moves to the plane of being, of being. Worship is the strongest impulse, the strongest motivation that a human being has. It is the crystallizing, if you like, of the fear of God. There it is not being afraid, it is the absolute intentional rejection of every alternative and every alternative form of deity, including self. It is to say we have been brought to 
that place of oneness with the Father and the Son. So, the Father dwells in us, we dwell in the Son, and therefore we dwell in the Father. That's what was prophesied. Then when the end comes, Jesus will hand up the kingdom to the Father and God will be all in all. So this is the beginning of what it looks like after the millennium, where God is all in all. It's He in us being purified as vessels of His use and for His use. The millennium is that kind of cleansing and making fit in its final way for all that is to happen after that, all that is to happen subsequently. So we're catching a glimpse here of what that looks like. Not just the promise of it, but now the the factual reality and the functioning reality. What it looks like is there is no temple because God is in us. Worship is internal and external because there is no other God before the Lord. And that ought to strike a familiar chord with you where the first commandment, again type and shadow, that was ever given in the Ten Commandments was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the second is, You you shall not make to yourself any graven image or the likeness of anything in heaven above, the earth beneath, the waters under the earth, You shall not bow down to them nor worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that look like in not bowing down and worshiping other gods before the Lord? What does that look like in its final form? That's what this is. That he has perfected for himself a dwelling place which he carved out of every tribe, tongue, language and nation through the process of selecting people who respond to the invitation to be to come to the Father, to come to God as Father by being assembled to the person of Christ. And to that end, He gave the Holy Spirit who when He comes will distribute what belongs to Jesus to those who have been included in Christ. We are the beneficial heirs of that which is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His blood we have entered into the same covenantal relationship between the Father and the Son. He shed His blood and we became the beneficial heirs by accepting such a great salvation. Salvation here is not merely the salvation of the soul, 
but in the salvation of the Spirit, we become an assembled part of the spiritual man known as Christ. What is Christ assembling in the earth? Well, God said that it would be a man in the image and likeness of God. That man is capable on a corporate level of carrying the presence of God in the fullness of God, but only at the end of the age, the end of the millennial age. Now, I hope that you I hope that you're impressed with the fact that none of this can be material like we are used to thinking of material things. We don't yet know what it shall be like, but when it does appear, like when He does appear, we shall be like Him. Faith is what allows us in this present world and at this present time to lie down in the fullness of trust that whatever it will be, it will be and it will be to our good. Even though we don't see it, we don't have a picture with which to relate it at the present time, it shall be as it has been promised. That's what faith is. The ancients died looking to these things even now that we see. They did not occur in their day and they didn't see them, but we see them in our time. This city whose founder and builder is God is in fact an assembled people on the foundation of the twelve apostles who carry in them, like bread in the basket, like broken fragments in twelve baskets, they carry in them the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they are honored in the fashion in which they've been honored. No temple because we have matured, we have matriculated from meeting places and singing songs to having the presence of God in us everywhere like the parts of the body carry the spirit of the man or the woman in their persons. Our bodies do not simply act independently of the head. The head messages every part of the body that it wishes to activate to some action, but it is the head that owns the body. And it might be said that the glory of the body is its association with the head. These things were given to us in the natural to give us inclinations of what it will look like. Clearly we do not at this point see how we can all be fully functional 
doing different things, but all in perfect harmony with the messaging from the head. For example, right now, my hands move, my lips move, my vocal cords uh, utter sound, my lungs expel air to permit the sound. But the sound that is make, made involves my, my tongue, my mouth. It involves the brain waves. And every part of the body involved in this movement, in this sound, in this communication, what comes out is greater than the movements of my hands individually, or the movement of my lips, or the movement of my thoughts. An eternal message is being conveyed. It's nearly impossible for us, given the present state of division of the church, where every man does what is right in his own eyes, it's nearly impossible for us to see a time when the whole body of Christ, each one possessed of the Spirit of God, functioning individually like the parts of my body are now functioning to produce that which glorifies God in the environment. But that's what this is talking about. The temple is no longer a place where we go. The temple is more about us hosting the presence of God corporately in ourselves, each one possessing the mind of Christ like each part of the human body being connected to the head by the nervous system, receiving the messaging of the head, acting in perfect accord, although all the actions are different. What I do with my hands cannot be compared to what comes out of my mouth or the look in my eye or the expression on my face. They're all very different things, but they form one messaging. If we can understand that the time will actually come when the one who is in us, like presently my brain responding to the waves of the, and revelation of the Holy Spirit, speaks this message forth. There will be a time when who we are, and of course it won't be in these bodies, we'll have new bodies, bodies suitable for this, and bodies completely freed of any sort of disruption, malice or evil thought, so that all we do, all we say, is a pure stream of word and a pure flow of action that is exactly what God is saying and what God is doing, and we are the instrumentation of that doing, just like my body now, in this present moment, is the instrument by which what comes from the head is spoken through a body. And here, in this particular matter, right now, right here, 
what comes from my, my brain, because my brain is the center that controls all the different parts of my body, is actually connected to an invisible element of my being called my spirit. And it is my spirit in turn connected to the Spirit of God who is uttering these points of revelation that far transcends any human ability to configure and to figure out. You're watching an example of what I'm talking about. And I'm not in a church building, I'm in a studio. It's irrelevant where I am. This is what God is bringing us to. This is what, why there is no need for a temple. With that, it is also true that the city has no need for the sun or of the moon to shine, shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. This is consistent with why there is not a temple. Here's why. Let's start at the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That was the condition as it was. And then God said, let there be light. Now clearly, when He said that, He wasn't referring to creating the sun, moon and stars. They weren't around then and they wouldn't be around for another four days. They'd be the fourth act of the sixth day of creation. So light has to mean more than sun, moon and stars, has to, because they did not exist and would not exist for some time. What then is light? Let there be light. The key is when he says, and the evening and the morning, not the morning and evening, but the evening and the morning were the first day. That means what was hidden in God. So darkness covered the surface of the deep. The deep is God Himself. I've done so much work in this area already, I'm not going to go back over it and lay up the proof. Um, it's all on the website, read, I mean, all on the, on the app, readily available. So look for it. Now then, evening and morning connect to darkness on the surface of the deep. Darkness there is not sin, couldn't be. Nobody has been around to commit sin. 
Man would be another four, uh, uh, man would be another five days in coming and we haven't even unpacked what it means by a day. So darkness on the surface of the deep means that what was to be revealed had not yet been revealed. So it was still in darkness. When a matter comes out of darkness and is revealed, then it is light. So evening and morning. When the thing is revealed, it moves from darkness to light. So when God says, let there be light, He's saying, I'm about to, I'm establishing creation in order to reveal, to reveal myself. That's what God was doing. Jesus is described in John, the first chapter, as the light of the world. And we, in Matthew, are also described in the following terms, for you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel or meal tub, but on a candlestick, so it gives light to all that are in the house. But here is the, here is the uncontrovertible statement of truth about light. This is why the city has no need for the sun, the moon to shine because the glory of God is its illumination. Here's what is said. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning at verse 3. But if our gospel is hid or hidden, it is hid to those who are lost. In other words, our gospel is light to those who have been saved. Those who are lost, it is yet darkness for them. In whom the God of, let me reread it, if our gospel is, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, should shine unto them. For we preach Christ, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, when was that? Let there be light. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This scripture ties us right back into Genesis 1 and gives the complete validation and proof that Jesus is the light of the world that God had in mind when He said, let there be light. He was planning to reveal the glory of God in creation through the person of Christ. through the person of Christ. And in doing so, He would include us in Christ and we in Christ would in the time of His absence from this earth, we would be the light of the world. Christ, Christ is carried, how does he put it? In jars of clay. We have this treasure, we have this treasure, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's exactly what Jesus prayed about and asked the Father to let occur when He said, let them be one in us in the way you are in me and I am in you. Let them be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So we are the carriers of this light for now. For now. Jesus has returned to His original glory, the one He had with the Father in the beginning, and with that we have been delegated this gospel message which is why the twelve apostles who were the original carriers of this message are given such note and distinction. But the time will come when and in this city there is no distinction between the person of God and of Christ and of the body of Christ. No distinction. The light that will be reflected, the light that will illuminate, because this is not reflected light at this point, this is light as source. The glory of God, what God meant to put in creation will have been fully invested in creation and this city will be illuminated 
by the glory of God that has now come to its fullness. This represents the effulgence, the ultimate expression of the glory of God. It might be said that the sun, the moon and the stars are reflections, earthly, physical, natural reflections, if not earthly, materially reflections of the God who created them. But God Himself remains the original source of illumination and for a population clothed upon by the person of Christ or who carry the presence of God in themselves as the body of Christ are illuminated by the presence of Christ and become illumination for all. When Christ who is your life, Philippians says, when Christ who is your life appears, you shall appear with Him in glory. That is why there is no temple, that is why there is no sun, moon and stars. It might be said the former things have passed away. We'll continue to discuss the light of the world when we come back. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye for now.